You are listening to Episode 8 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 22, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 10th. Lunch was attended by the officers, but neither of the off-duty ratings joined us. The awkwardness of the two tables was reinforced, and I was even more pleased with the plans I'd laid. We discussed the placement of the repeater while we dined and agreed on location. Chief Gearhart surprised me by suggesting an oversized screen and remote combination that would allow a much greater flexibility in use. And do you have these just laying around in spares, Chief? She giggled delightfully and talked quietly at her plate. Oh, you know, boys aren't the only ones who like toys. I picked these up a while back, Captain. I thought they might be useful one day. Captain Delman didn't want to use it. She shook her head. He didn't spend much time on the mess deck, so I guess he didn't see the need, Captain. After lunch, Mr. Wyatt helped me clear and clean while Mr. Paul went ashore and Ms. Thomas retired to her stateroom for a nap. She'd be taking the overnight at 1800 and needed the rest. Chief Gerhardt entertained us by bringing in a huge monitor on a dolly and proceeded to quickly and efficiently mount it on the bulkhead where it could be seen readily from anywhere in the galley. Mr. Wyatt chuckled. My goodness, Greta, is it big enough? I think I've seen smaller screens at the movie theater. She giggled again. It's not that huge, Avery. It just looks it in this big space. She stepped back and admired her work. It is about three times larger than a standard console, but that's good if you're trying to read it while you're cooking. She bundled up all the packing materials and disposed of them before coming back with a detached console keyboard. It was powered by rechargeable batteries and communicated with the screen wirelessly. Not exactly cutting-edge technology, but not the usual configuration of shipboard consoles. More like a home entertainment unit. It took a little jiggering, but we found a place to lock the docking station so that the keyboard could be docked for charging when not in use. This unit wasn't going to be all that useful while docked, but remembering my voyages on the bad penny, I could certainly see where having this kind of data available on the mess deck would make being underway less problematic with short hands. Chief Gerhart seemed very pleased with her work, and I had to admit she'd done a terrific job of it. We do still have a spare console in stores, don't we, Chief? Yes, we do, Captain. If something happens, I've got one whole bridge console as spare, and a few extra monitors and keyboards as well. We're well stocked. Good to know, Chief. Thank you. She just about finished up when the extra stores arrived. I left Mr. Wyatt to deal with the shipment and went up to the bridge to file flight plans. I intended to get underway for well over the next day at 1500. All we needed was our third can and the final touches that the ship fitters would be doing in the morning. I remember thinking that things were coming together nicely, just about the time I got the call from Orbital Security. Are you the new skipper on Agamemnon? The officer was pleasant enough. Yes, Ishmael Wong at your service, officer. Is there a problem? Mr. Ricks, Mr. Schubert have been remanded here for drunken disorderly on the O2 deck, Captain. He had a particularly bored air. Not unusual, I take it? Not terribly, Captain. You can bail him any time. There's fines, of course, and... They're pretty hefty, or you can take it to court and see if you can reduce them. But we'd need to be here for that. Yes, Captain, afraid so. Any purpose in fighting an officer? Not really, Captain. The evidence is pretty convincing. Nobody's pressing charges on assault and battery or indecent exposure. Just the D&D. &D. This sounds like it's pretty routine. It's all too routine, Captain. 
Thank you, officer. I'll have my cargo chief come relieve you of the carcasses within the hour. I'll pay the fine. Okay, Captain. Shall we build a ship? No. This is personal. I'll pay it. Are you sure, Captain? The officer sounded surprised. Captain Delman always had me build a ship. I'm sure. He sent me the ticket, and I returned the payment authorization. The total made me wince a little. Thank you, Captain, and good luck with them. Thanks. I have a feeling I'm going to need it. When he signed off, I did something I should have done the first day and forgot. I looked up the balance on the ship's puka. When I first signed on the Lois McKendrick back in 51, I'd been surprised to learn that there was a crewman on the roster of the Lois McKendrick named Lois McKendrick. They told me that the ship had an account that was set up for random acts of kindness and aid. When somebody in the crew needed something that was really outside the pale of normal operations, that something was sometimes handled by the puka. There was a fund set up and some extra mass allotment so that things could be accommodated anonymously in a way that permitted largesse that couldn't be traced. There was a William Tinker crewman on the Tinker, and while he'd been a bit neglected and overlooked when I'd come aboard, he was healthy and well-tuned when I left. I wasn't too surprised to find almost no money and an allocated mass allotment equal to about five full shares on Agamemnon. I made a note to follow up with Wyatt on that. I took solace on its being there and chalked it up to the status quo. In the meantime, I needed to get Mr. Wyatt up to security to retrieve our wayward boys. I headed down to the mess deck, but met him coming up the ladder. The new stores have been delivered, Captain, and Mr. Hill has a can. It looks good. He was beaming. Excellent. Go book it fast, and then get up to security and retrieve our missing crewman, if you would, Mr. Wyatt. Oh, no. He stopped on the ladder. Yes, well, grab that can before somebody else does. Then go up and get the lads. I'll have a little talk with him when you get him back here. Aye, aye, Skipper. He raced on up the ladder, and I went down to the mess deck. I had ordered a new coffee grinder, and I wanted to try it out on some of the Sarabanda dark. I had a pot brewed and was just savoring my first mugful when Wyatt returned with a pair of rather bedraggled-looking, civvy-clad crewmen. I had him line him up on the mess deck. Rick's had what looked like a bruise on his cheek, and Schubert looked like he'd vomited down his shirt. They both smelled rather bad. You gentlemen seem a bit worse for wear. Ricks smirked. We try not to do things halfway, sir. Well, gentlemen, I'm glad to see you've retained a sense of humor. You may find that handy. You're confined to ship, of course, until departure. You're too expensive for me to have wandering around loose, and I'm claiming your shares to pay back the fines I just paid on your behalf. Schubert sniggered and cast a sideways glance at Ricks. You have a comment, Mr. Schubert. Good luck with that, sir. The way our shares have been, you'll be a long time recovering. I appreciate the sentiment, Mr. Schubert, but I calculate your share value on this next trip might be as much as, if not more than, that princely wage we pay you. Two trips, and I expect to recoup the losses to my purse. They looked startled. Mr. Wyatt and Mr. Hill are having a bit of a competition to see who can pick the better cargo. I've upped the ante by agreeing to put in a hunt tub if Mr. Hill prevails, and Mr. Hill will become apprentice to Mr. Wyatt should that work out the other way. I'm picking the third can, and if I'm any judge of cargo, the share value on this trip should be something on the order of five times bigger than anything you're used to. They looked doubtful. I didn't blame them. Gentlemen, let's be clear. I'm the captain now. Things will change. And because I'm the captain, things will change the way I want them to. What I want is to make money. I want to make lots and lots of money. We do that by carrying cargo from here to there and back again very cheaply, 
We don't do it cheaply if the ship is having to pay fines for idiots who can't hold their liquor or control their tempers. Are we clear so far? Just nod. They nodded. Good. Toward that end, you'll find that the ship did not pay your fines this time. I did. Personally. You owe me, not the ship. I intend to make sure you pay me back. Please consider this a business relationship and nothing personal. You two, and looking at the records I should probably include Mr. Hill in this, have been playing this game too long. It ends here. You will not get in the way of my profit margin. Are we clear on this? Just nod again. They nodded again. They didn't really look like they believed me, although I saw Mr. Schubert eyeing the new repeater on the bulkhead. Excellent. We're getting underway tomorrow afternoon at 1500. We'll have more time to get acquainted on our trip out to Welliver, and just so you're aware, the only way you two are getting off this ship is if your contracts expire or if you take berths on another vessel. That hit them out of left field somewhere. Mr. Ricks had enough on the ball to question it. Sar? Look, I'll take the gloves off here, lads. You've been trying to get put ashore so you can sue the company for what? A couple stanniers? While I admit that I admire your stamina, I question your strategic ability. The lawyers won't let the company put you ashore because of a union rule. You know it. Captain Delman knew it. I know it. Unlike the company lawyers, I happen to know that you three may be the best three spacers in the whole fleet, and I have no intention of letting you get away. Mr. Wyatt looked shocked at that, but he had sense enough not to speak. I also have no intention of letting you squander your not inconsiderable talents on bar brawls and D&D &D charges. You two are going to help us make this ship the best in the fleet, and we're going to thumb our noses at the rest. Ricks was recovering faster than Schubert. Yes, Captain, and how do you propose we're going to do this miraculous feat of financial engineering? I'm glad you asked that question, Mr. Ricks. This ship has no morale officer, as I understand it. Is that true, Mr. Wyatt? Yes, Captain. Well, that's changed. Mr. Ricks, you are now the ship's morale officer. Mr. Wyatt looked shocked again, but still didn't speak. He didn't need to because my space lawyer chimed right up on cue. Sir, I'm the lowest-ranked member of the crew. You can't make me morale officer. Really, Mr. Ricks, can you find me a rule citation for that? Something entitled J under other duties as required, maybe? Bless his little heart, I could see his brain cranking over as he mentally reviewed the appropriate sections. We can pull up the manual on that screen if it would help, Mr. Ricks. He knew I had him. No, Captain, there is no citation. Thank you, Mr. Ricks. Then I would think being the lowest of the low you'd have the best perspective on what would make life better for the crew here. With that logic, I believe you to be the appropriate person to hold the post. He didn't look convinced. You don't need to do anything right now. We'll iron out the details once we're underway. You'll have a budget, some discretionary authority over how it might be spent. He perked up at the mention of budget. He'd probably be disappointed when he saw how much it really would amount to, but small steps can complete long journeys. Mr. Schubert, are you tracking? Yes, Captain. Good, because I've got a collateral duty for you as well. Me, sir? You, Mr. Schubert. You're going to be in charge of the ship's co-op. Co-op, Captain? Yes, Mr. Schubert, the co-op. We'll talk more about it when we get underway. We're out of time here, but I expect good things from you. They both looked very confused. Dismissed, gentlemen. Get cleaned up. This fresh coffee and dinner mess will be promptly at 1800. I've got a date with an angel, so I'll be missing that, but we'll have plenty of time to get better acquainted when we get underway. They trooped out of the mess deck and crossed the passage to crew berthing. Mr. Wyatt looked at me with a question in his eyes that he didn't really dare ask. Go ahead and ask, Mr. Wyatt. 
Captain, are you sure? Very, Mr. Wyatt. The best three spacers in the fleet, Captain? I smiled and shrugged. Okay, that might have been a bit of hyperbole on my part, but do you know any other three spacers in the fleet who could have been in so much trouble for so long without being put ashore or busted to spacer apprentice? Oh, they have been busted, Captain. They just keep coming back. I smiled at him. Do you begin to see my point, Mr. Wyatt? I could see the light dawn, and he looked at me oddly. Yes, Captain, I think I do. Good. Then let's get dinner mess going. I need to leave it to you this evening, because I'm spending my last night in port with the missus. Are you sure I can do this, Captain? What, dinner? He nodded. Yep, positive. We started pulling up the menu and getting things organized. It was a simple meal, and one that was mostly opening cans and adding the fresh herbs and spices that had been delivered earlier in the day. The one serious bit of cooking was roasting a pork loin, and I walked him through that process easily. As the clock ticked down, we started planning breakfast so the 0600 watch change would have a full meal, and I planned to be back by 0800 myself. He seemed to be adjusting pretty well. He'd been doing all the cooking before, so this was not something new for him, even if what he was cooking was a bit more complicated. It had to be more satisfying. Miss Thomas came down to the mess deck at 1745, and we relieved the watch among the delicious smells of roast pork and baking biscuits. I was almost sorry to be leaving. She eyed the new terminal on the bulkhead, but made no comment. We exchanged reports, and I notified her that Misters Schubert and Ricks were confined to ship. You're not going to confine Hill? No, Miss Thomas. He didn't do anything to warrant it, and he snagged us a nice cargo. She looked startled at that. Ask Mr. Wyatt to explain it over dinner. I've got a date. I smiled all around and ran into Mr. Hill on the way out of the mess deck. You won't be causing me any grief overnight, will you, Mr. Hill? He looked at me hard, and I'm not sure what he saw, but the look went from challenging to contemplative while I watched. No, Captain. I smiled. Thanks, Brandon. I'm counting on you. I turned and scampered up the ladder, but not before I caught the look of surprise on his face. As I skinned out of my ship suit and into civvies, I was caught between the feeling of pleasure that things might actually turn around on this boat and anger that the crew should have been so abused. When I signed out for the night, an odd thought crossed my mind. Mr. Schubert! Do you think we should get a cat? Chapter 23, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 11th. I dreaded getting underway. Not the getting underway part. I actually looked forward to that. There's something oddly exciting about getting out there. Mostly it's nothing to write home about. Lots of watches, lots of stands trapped in a can. A few ticks of magic when you're actually going someplace really different. And then more stands, more watches. A few days in a new port, and then back out again. I've been doing it so long, being docked seemed odd to me. No, I dreaded the leaving Jen part. It didn't matter what time I got underway. She'd get up when I was showering and meet me in the kitchen with the look. Part accusatory, part puppy dog, we'd have the scene and I'd leave feeling like a selfish jerk. She'd be sitting there cursing me as the door closed. What was worse? I wasn't sure she wasn't right. What kind of life was I subjecting her to? For Staniers, every time I got underway, we had the scene. Except that morning, she didn't. She didn't even get up while I was showering. She lay there in bed, looking so delightfully rumpled, I nearly crawled in with her again. It had been a truly memorable night and early morning. I had several gouges in my hide and a silly grin on my face to prove it. I sat on the edge of the bed. 
We're getting underway this afternoon, heading to Welliver. She smiled up at me sleepily and wrapped those strong arms around my neck, pulled me down for a kiss. Mm, yeah, I remember. You be safe out there, okay? I'll do my best. I was melting inside. Have any idea when you be home? I thought about it. With our mass and sail, we should carve weeks off the round trip. Something around mid-April, I should think. She seemed to wake up a bit for that. Oh, that's quick. I was thinking May. Smaller boat, shorter run. She nodded. Okay. She pulled me down for one last smooch. Go. Your ship's waiting, Captain. See you in a few weeks, my love. Turn the light off on your way out. I don't have to get up for a couple stands yet. She giggled and burrowed back under the covers. I grabbed my kit, shut off the lights, and headed for the door. It felt good to be leaving for once when I wasn't under a cloud. By 0730, I was at the ship, and the real fun for the day began. When I popped the lock and stepped aboard, I had a bad feeling. You can tell a lot about a ship by the smell. I'd been pleased when first coming aboard the Agamemnon that the smell had been clean and only slightly mechanical. This morning, the ship smelled more like... Burned bacon, Skipper. Mr. Ricks supplied the missing identifier. Thank you, Mr. Ricks. And I take it breakfast mess didn't go as smoothly as I'd anticipated? Um, no, sir. But it was entertaining for a time. As morale officer, you should note these instances in order to capitalize on them in the future. I stood on the scale while he did the mass adjustments. Uh, not that entertaining, sir, if you catch my drift. From the direction of the mess deck, I could hear Ms. Thomas proclaiming loudly, although the echoes in the ship made her actual words indistinct. Yes, Mr. Ricks, I believe I do. I sighed. Carry on, Mr. Ricks. Sar, uh, about this morale officer business? Yes, Mr. Ricks? Are you serious? I waited. Sar? Quite, Mr. Ricks. You are the lowest rating on the ship. Traditionally, morale officer falls to the lowest ranking officer, but we're a small crew, and we all need to contribute. I paused while the loud clatter of some metallic object rattled off the deck from the direction of the galley, followed by some more imprecations in the key of Thomas. And I have it on good authority that you're something of a space lawyer. I intend to use that, Mr. Ricks. Use it, Captain. Space lawyer isn't a phrase that most folks take as a compliment. Several smaller clatters that sounded suspiciously like flatware echoed down the passage. No, but usually the people who use space lawyer as pejorative do so because they're caught out on the wrong end of a rule. While there are those who abuse the point by splitting semantic hair and parsing every subclause, you didn't do that when I put you on the spot yesterday. But you'd already made me morale officer by then, Captain. Yes. I smiled at him. Yes, Mr. Ricks, I had. Contemplate that timing of events while I see if any medical attention is required. I had to pause for another loud clang in the galley. Of course, sir. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, Mr. Ricks. Carry on. Aye, aye, sir. I wasn't really certain I wanted to see what all the noise was about, but knowing the mess that bacon fat can make on metal deck plates, I considered it my duty to try to get things shipshape before the shipfitters arrived. I stopped at the entry to the galley and leaned against the jam. I was still in my civvies, and my presence seemed to make no impression on the melee in progress. Mr. Wyatt had his back to the door, looking a bit worse for wear. Even from the angle I had, he was looking a bit smoked out and greasy. That, coupled with the burned bacon smell, made me think that I'd overestimated his culinary ability. I kicked myself mentally. 
Mr. Paul should have been OOD, but he was standing with a mop and a bucket of water near the range trying to clean up a blackened runnel of what could only be bacon fat that had smeared across the deck and then congealed. The noise and center of attention was with Ms. Thomas and Mr. Schubert. Ms. Thomas was in full fettle, leaning down over Mr. Schubert and giving him both barrels as he tried to pick up loose pieces of burned bacon, flatware, and what looked like a half-meter stainless steel roasting pan. Every time Mr. Schubert would start to make some progress, Miss Thomas would kick loose pieces around and increase the not inconsiderable volume of her imprecation. Neither Mr. Hill nor Miss Gearhart were in evidence, a fact which I chalked up to either fortune or good sense. After several ticks of observation, I dropped my kit loudly to the deck during one of the infrequent lulls in the action, and it made a satisfying thwack when the bottom hit the metal. Mr. Paul had the presence of mind to notice the sound and snap, Captain on deck! I don't take much to the pseudo-military aspects of rank, and most ships ran rather looser than one was led to believe in the academy. In extremes, however, the training usually kicked in, and I was grateful that Mr. Paul's instincts were on the mark. If the assembled company didn't exactly jump to the requisite stand to attention, they at least stopped what they were doing, and silence descended. I let it lay there, undisturbed, for more than a few heartbeats. Miss Thomas had a look of, you're going to get it now, on her face. Mr. Schubert looked actually grateful for the interruption. Mr. Wyatt stood at attention, still with his back to me, frozen ramrod stiff by Mr. Paul's call. Mr. Paul was almost at attention and having trouble figuring out what to do with the mop. I interceded before he tried port arms with it. Good morning, lady and gentlemen. Is there coffee? Miss Thomas was the first to speak. Coffee, Captain? I ambled across the mess deck, walking around Mr. Wyatt, and snagged a mug out of the rack. Yes, Miss Thomas, coffee, dark beverage, made by percolating boiling water through ground seeds from the fruit of the coffee plant. You've heard of it. She had the grace to flush as I drew a cup from the ready urn. Yes, Captain, I've heard of it. I tasted it, and it was, frankly, in need of assistance. Good, Miss Thomas. May I ask who made this pot? Mr. Wyatt spoke up. I did, Captain. Not bad, Mr. Wyatt. Get with me later and I'll give you some pointers. When I looked at him closely from the front, I winced. Do you need medical attention, Mr. Wyatt? His hands went to his face. No, I don't think so, Captain. It flashed up and caught me by surprise. I think it only got my eyebrows. Please do me a favor, Mr. Wyatt. Report to the first aid station on 01 right now. It's probably nothing serious, but I want to get underway this afternoon. I'd like to take a healthy crew with me. Oh, dear. Is it that bad, Captain? Mr. Wyatt looked alarmed. It looks minor to me, Mr. Wyatt, but grease burns aren't something to take a chance with. We have the time and the facility. Please make sure that it's as minor as it looks by checking with the appropriate medical authorities. Yes, sir. He said it, but he stood there. Now, Mr. Wyatt. And don't you want my report, Captain? In good time, Mr. Wyatt. Health and safety before blame and finger-pointing. Scoot. He scooted. I rested my haunches against the counter and sipped as I very obviously took in the scene. To their credit, nobody interrupted my inspection. Mr. Schubert, that looks uncomfortable. You could stand. Thank you, Captain. Mr. Paul, you're OOD. Please report. Pirates, Captain. Miss Thomas turned red and barked. Paul, will you? Miss Thomas. I interrupted her before she could get up to speed. I asked for Mr. Paul's report. Please grant him the courtesy of letting him make it. 
I turned to Mr. Paul. You were saying, Mr. Paul, pirates, Captain, they sabotaged the range where Mr. Wyatt was trying to cook that tray of bacon. When he went to pull it out, it flashed up and he was singed. Quick thinking on Mr. Schubert's part here, and he dropped a second pan on it, snuffing the fire. I turned to him. Quick thinking, Mr. Schubert, thank you. Schubert shrugged. I got lucky, Captain. I smiled at that and nodded for Mr. Paul to continue. Things started going badly after that, Captain. Mr. Schubert tried to pick up the pan and dropped it. I looked at Mr. Schubert. Show me your hands, Mr. Schubert. I hadn't been able to see them before, but he had angry-looking burns on the palm of each hand. Usually one uses potholders, Mr. Schubert. Please follow Mr. Wyatt's footsteps immediately. Go. Aye, aye, Captain. And then there were two. I looked them over. Mr. Paul, that mop won't do much against the congealed grease. Use a spatula. Scrape up what you can and then report to Miss Gearhart with my compliments and ask for a little of her blue glue. She'll know what it is. Use that to clean the residue off the deck. Aye, aye, Captain. He stashed the mop and began corralling the loose bits of hardware and burned food off the deck. Miss Thomas, the cabin, if you please. Aye, aye, Captain. She followed me out of the galley and I stagged my kid on the way. She started to speak a couple of times as we climbed the ladder, but I held up a hand and she was wise enough to heed the warning. I opened the door and walked through into the sleeping space to toss my kid onto the bunk before returning to the main cabin. Miss Thomas was standing just inside the door. If you'd close that door, Miss Thomas? I don't think that's wise, Captain. Right at this moment, Miss Thomas, I don't really care if you think it's wise. Close the door. Do it. Now. Stand at attention. Right there. I pointed to a spot on the deck in front of the desk. I'm going to go into the next room and put on a ship suit. You're going to wait for me. While I'm gone, I'd like you to think about why I shouldn't put you off this ship for dereliction of duty, endangering the health and safety of the crew and conduct on becoming an officer. She started to speak, but I cut her off. Shut up, Miss Thomas. Close the door. Stand there. Do it now, please. I went into the sleeping space and pulled the screen closed without waiting to see if she did it or to give her a chance to question. It took me no time to skin out of civvies and into the ship suit. I'd left one hanging in the head for morning before I'd left the ship. But I gave Miss Thomas a few extra ticks to think about what I'd said by washing my face and hands. It gave me a few ticks to think as well. Miss Thomas was an enigma. There had to be more going on with her. Call me naive, but I really wanted to believe there was more to her than met the eye or ear. I returned to find her properly braced, standing where I left her. I didn't sit behind the desk, but stood in front of her and took her face on. She was short. I was shocked to see how short. Of course, I knew she was a heavy worlder. She probably outmassed me by half again, but she barely came up to my shoulder. I'd known that, but I lost sight of it. Do you have any idea why you are here, Miss Thomas? She seemed confused by the question. Here, Captain. Yes, Miss Thomas. Do you have any idea what you may have done to invoke my ire? I would suspect it has something to do with the injuries to the crew and my failure to address them, Captain. Points for you, Miss Thomas. Can you explain your actions in failing to deal with the immediate and urgent issues of injured crewmen? No, Captain. She seemed contrite and actually at a loss. That set me back. I paced around behind her to give her a little thinking space. What happened to start this all off? She cocked her head slightly. Captain? My pacing brought me back in front of her, and I faced her once more. What happened to start all this, Miss Thomas? Oh, that buffoon, I interrupted. Which buffoon, Miss Thomas? Mr. Wyatt, Captain. She looked a bit exasperated that I should have to ask for clarification. The crew have names. 
please use them. Name-calling is beneath you, Miss Thomas. It's beneath them, too, Captain, but they don't seem to have any trouble doing it. No doubt, Miss Thomas. Is there a name you're particularly sensitive to? Oh, come, Captain, I'm no idiot. I know they call me Foghorn and Old Fireplug, and gods alone know what else. Ouch. That's cold. And you've heard them? Well, not this crew, no. But I've heard enough that I know it's what they're saying, sir. How do you know, Miss Thomas? The lack of respect, sir. It's insulting. They make fun of me for my height or my voice. By the gods, they should at least respect the officer first mate, and these chucklewoods show all the respect of... I interrupted her again. The crew, Miss Thomas, not these chuckle wits or any other derogatory epithet you might be contemplating. The crew. Captain, I have a hard time being respectful of individuals who show so little respect themselves. Did it occur to you, Miss Thomas, that they may be having the same problem? She took a breath and thought before speaking. Sar? Miss Thomas, it's been my experience that nobody respects an office if they cannot find it in themselves to respect the officer who fills it. Furthermore, that officer cannot simply demand respect due the office without demonstrating that they deserve it. Well, of course, Captain. And do you consider referring to your fellow officers and crew as buffoon and chucklewits as demonstration of deserving their respect, Miss Thomas? It's all they deserve, Captain. It's what I get. Why shouldn't I give it back? It's not like I call them that to their faces. No, Miss Thomas, but it's how you think of them, and that shows up in your treatment. And you're the first mate. You're supposed to be in command. First, you have to command yourself. You got mad when Mr. Wyatt burned the bacon and became incensed when Schubert dropped it on the deck and made a mess, didn't you, Miss Thomas? Well, of course, Captain. Cooking bacon is not exactly complicated. He's an officer. He can't manage a simple task like cooking breakfast. And that oaf, um, when Schubert dropped it on the deck, I saw it as my duty to teach him a lesson. That man is so clumsy. So your first instinct wasn't to see if perhaps the ship were in danger or that the crew might be injured, but rather you needed to assert your authority by punishing Mr. Schubert for his clumsiness. Exactly, Captain. For over a full stand? Sar? Miss Thomas, I came aboard at 0730. Breakfast mess usually starts at 0600, allowing for a bit of delay because the new experience of actually cooking a meal instead of decanting it. I'd guess this all happened somewhere between 0600 and 0630. Yes, Captain. My tablet bipped and I glanced at it. It was a note from the brow. The shipfitters had arrived. I punched an acknowledgement and returned to the problem at hand. Think about the fact that you kept injured crew for medical treatment for a full stand while you exercised your authority and showed them just how much respect you have for them. I need to deal with an issue below for a few ticks. I'll be right back. I left her at attention and headed for the lock. The head of the shipfitter crew waited with a couple of hands and some packages. Good morning, Captain. I'm Charlie. This here's Sam. That's Terry. Understand you get a bit of remodeling you'd like done. I shook each hand and turned. Yes, thank you, Charlie. I turned to Mr. Ricks. My compliments to Chief Gearhart, and would she join me on the mess deck at her earliest convenience, Mr. Ricks? Aye, aye, Captain. I led the work gang onto the mess deck and explained what I wanted done. Before I got halfway through the explanation, Chief Gearhart skidded through the door with a bright look and a big smile for Charlie. I backed up slightly for her benefit, and within two ticks, I knew I was in trouble. Charlie looked at the chief, and she shrugged. He turned back to me. Captain, I can do what you're asking, or I can do what I think you want. 
Please explain the difference, if you would, Charlie. Of course, Skipper. He proceeded to give me chapter and verse in appropriate detail with encouraging nods from the chief, and he finished with a flourish. To do what you want, those two deck flanges would have to be burned out. We can do it, but it'd be ugly. If we substitute a couple parts, we can use those flanges and give you a really nice solution without cutting up your ship. Well, that sounded pretty good to me. What's the differential in cost and time? Cost is actually less. The parts are less expensive, and we're using more of what you have. Time is the problem. We didn't bring the parts we need, Captain. You brought what I asked for. Trade so, sir. I want to get underway by 1500. What can you do? Oh, we're talking a stand, tops. I can be back with the parts and all by 1300, if you want to cut it that fine, Captain. I looked at Chief Gearhart. She nodded back. Make it so, Charlie, and I'm sorry for not asking the experts before making up my mind. No problem, Skipper. Happy to do it. They took their tools and boxes and left, and Miss Gerhardt was left on the mess deck, measuring it with her eyes. Measuring for drapes, Chief. She grinned and shook her head before scampering back down to engineering. Mr. Paul was still working on the cleanup, but he'd heard it all. Your thoughts, Mr. Paul? Yo-ho-ho, ho, Captain. Should we stock a few bottles of rum? Not a bad idea, Mr. Paul. Let me get back to you on that. In the meantime, I needed to get back to the cabin, and I scampered up the ladder at a dash. I walked into the cabin to find Miss Thomas still braced. I'm sorry for the delay, Miss Thomas. She jumped as if startled as I walked past her and took a seat at my desk. When I looked at her face, I knew she'd had time to think. Your comments, Miss Thomas. I didn't know they were injured, Captain. I'm glad, Miss Thomas, because if I'd thought you'd known and had kept them from treatment even knowing... I would have been very sorry to have to cancel our departure while I found a new first. I should have known, Captain. Yes, Miss Thomas, you should have. I have no excuse, Captain. I know that, Miss Thomas, and I'm glad you do, too. I let that settle in for a couple of heartbeats. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to go to your stateroom, take a hot shower, and rack out until I call you to the bridge for navigation detail. You're just off the mid, and we're getting underway at 1500. I need you fresh and ready to help me get this ship underway. You know better than anybody else aboard how she handles, and I'll need your assistance. Actually, Mr. Schubert knows better, Captain. Excuse me, Miss Thomas. Mr. Schubert, Captain. The man has the touch. I thought you said he was clumsy, Miss Thomas. Oh, he is, Captain, with everything but the helm. But put him on the helm, and he knows just how to move it or put her right where we need her. He's got the touch, sir. I almost had to bite my tongue, and it took several long breaths to get myself under control. In the end, I managed not to laugh, but I thought I had a pretty good handle on one of the issues facing Miss Thomas. Thank you, Miss Thomas. I'll take that under advisement. Now, please get some sleep. Captain? Yes, Miss Thomas. She looked embarrassed, but she plowed ahead. Food, Captain. I, uh, missed breakfast. And with my metabolism, I need something to eat. Rather badly. Oh, crap. I jumped to my feet and probably startled her. I'm so sorry. I know about heavy worlders, and I completely lost sight of that. Please accept my apologies, Miss Thomas. Of course, Captain. I'll consider it my penance, and I'm sorry. You're right. I was over the edge, and I really don't know why. She did seem contrite, and I felt like a heel for keeping her standing there while her stomach ate its way slowly to her backbone. Do you know over easy? Down on O2, Captain. Of course. Everybody knows over easy. Before you wreck out, go eat. Top yourself up. Bring me the bill. Oh, you don't need to do that, Captain. Consider it my penance for not taking the physical well-being of my crew, no matter how ill-behaved, into consideration. It wasn't an obvious ill, but I overlooked it. 
I'll take it as my own lesson and be grateful that it didn't come at any higher cost than one of Frank's breakfast specials. Or two? She looked sheepish. <laughs> as many as you want, Miss Thomas. I know, heavy worlders. You're just built that way and nothing to apologize for. Dismissed. She left and I slumped at my desk. I didn't really want to think about what else might go wrong. So far, I was getting tossed a lot of soft pitches. I was pretty sure I'd be able to hit a few of them. But I worried about the ones I'd miss and what I'd do when they started throwing fastballs. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>